This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, we are going to review the next episode of Star Trek Prodigy, which is called Starstruck. And of course, we'll get a little help from Tony's niece and nephew. But first, we're going to cover the news. And the first thing we want to talk about is what's happening in the world of Star Trek movies. A few weeks ago, we talked about how there was a big shakeup at Paramount and a new guy named Brian Robbins took over um, and he subsequently replaced other people below him as well. He's now in charge of Paramount Pictures. His old job, which is still his new job, he's also the head of Nickelodeon. And so the day Prodigy came out, he did an interview with Alex Kurtzman with The Hollywood Reporter, which was supposed to be about Prodigy, but ended up talking about all sorts of stuff. And he's really bullish on Prodigy. He was the guy who actually greenlit Prodigy three years ago, whenever they, when they were two different companies. And what I found interesting was he said he had been thinking about doing something with Star Trek for Nickelodeon even before the merger, even before they ever got a pitch from Kurtzman. That shows he's pro Star Trek, right? Uh, yeah, understatement. But yeah, very pro Star Trek. So he really likes Prodigy and he thinks that there's an opportunity to do more Prodigy stuff for Paramount+. Plus. One of his many jobs is also the head of kids content for Paramount+. Plus. He's a busy guy. Yeah. So he'd like to see another... Star Trek kids show, possibly. There was a horrible suggestion by the Hollywood Reporter. I saw um, that. <laughs> it was the exact thing that they said that the Hageman brothers said they didn't want to do. Right. Little Spock, you know, yep. um, he, which they didn't pick up on and say, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. But they do like the idea of doing more either related to Prodigy or just more stuff. You know, Kurtzman said there's been many discussions, so we should not be surprised to see more of this kind of thing. Then putting on his other hat, he's like, when I saw this, I'm like, we should be doing Star Trek animated feature films in theaters. Well, that's the thing. I mean, into the spider verse was such a huge success. Um, like commercially and critically and just talking to people. Like it was, a, I thought it was a fantastic movie and I think it's gonna, I think it's opened up the door to a lot of options. Right, because it's what they call a four-quadrant family movie. Everyone loves it. They mentioned the Into the Spider-Verse. I mean, I like the idea. It 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 was a little unclear if it would be a Prodigy movie or something like Prodigy, or possibly both. But I'm, I'm very open to an animated Star Trek family movie like Into the Spider-Verse, which was fantastic. I wouldn't want this to be the only thing they're doing, just like Sony's not just doing Into the Spider-Verse, they're doing multiple movies in the Spider-Man universe, live action right. and animated. So if the next Star Trek feature film was a family animated Star Trek movie, I'd go see it, I'd be excited about it, but I don't want that to be the next Star Trek feature film, nor do I think it would be. No, but it does seem like a good choice to do at some point, especially when you consider the visuals of Prodigy. And how great they would look on a big screen. Like, I wish they'd done a big, you know, a big movie theater premiere all over would have been kind of fun and something. I mean, I don't know if people t are taking their kids out to the movies these days, but if I had kids, I would. I mean, I have kids, but they're big. <laughs> well, well, Paramount just put out Paw Patrol, and that's doing pretty well. Um, and they're about to put out Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> um, so, you know, they seem to be bullish on 
family entertainment, uh, both for the streaming service. Interestingly, that those are being released both on Paramount Plus and in theaters simultaneously. But they've said they're not going to do that for movies like Mission Impossible and others. Right. There's going to, going to be a 45-day gap, which is still pretty short for their big live-action movie. I was just going to say the whole industry is shifting and adapting anyway, so who knows? Because it was The Hollywood Reporter and they were talking to the head of Paramount, they kind of switched things up and started pushing Robbins on, okay, so let's talk live action, Star Trek, feature films, you know, because it's been five years, over five years at this it's point. It's almost like you were there whispering in their ear. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is great. You can talk about Prodigy all you want, um, but let's 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 get serious. So he said something very interesting, which I tend to agree with which is there's no doubt that big theatrical movies are the beacon that ignite franchises. Speaking of live action specifically. Um, so, he's, you know, where we go next with the franchise, the Star Trek franchise theatrically is crucial to the health of the overall franchise. Well, I mean, I, you know, with that, we've talked about this before, but without the JJ movies, we wouldn't have discovery. And no, without discovery, not. we wouldn't have had all the other shows. So I agree with that. It definitely influenced it, and you could certainly see the influence in, in Prodigy. They know that they need to have Star Trek back in theaters in feature films, but he, you know, he also said, we're in it, and I don't have anything to say because we're in development. You know, and he's waiting for the development to be delivered, specifically from J.J. Abrams. So we're like, well, you know, what are you waiting for? Doesn't he have a finished script, which apparently they do? JJ's hired a director. So this is kind of a, you know, and, and, and the Hollywood Reporter was like pushing them, like, are you waiting for JJ? Are you waiting for Alex to send you something? Yeah. He got a little squirrely. He didn't want to commit to either. It was more than a little squirrely. It was very squirrely. <laughs> but the 2023 movie is still on the calendar. So the clock is ticking, you know, and he said, that time is of the essence when it comes to the feature films. I suspect what's happening is they're waiting because you know, the final step of development is a, a what they call a you know a budget draft. So um, even if they had a draft of a script, really get it going, you need a draft that works within a given budget yeah. and fi and financing. So I suspect that's where they're at with the JJ movie. Um, and they need to decide, are they going to move forward or not with that? And are there any other things on the table? Because there is that other Kalinda Vasquez script. And there may be some other projects as well. Because, you know, Brian also mentioned, you know, what we do next in the franchise that's going to work for the next five or ten years. They don't want to do just one movie at a time. They want to look at it as a whole, which is how everyone's doing it these days. How DC's doing it and Disney's doing that with the Marvel movies and the Star Wars movies. No, but a part of me feels like Paramount is, is, is for the last five years, you know, they had a good thing going with the first three JJ movie, two JJ movies, whether you like the second one or not, you know, they were making money and the third one didn't make as much as they had. And they had these commitments for the fourth one and it just ground them to a halt. And they've been in this paralysis where they don't, you know, they want to make Star Trek movies, but they don't know what to do with them. And they've reshuffled executives and they're constantly rethinking and they're just, they're kind of afraid to pull the trigger on anything. It feels like. I mean, I get that. It's so hard to know 
what's good. Like I, if you said to me, oh, what if, I mean, I know which movie did better, but if I didn't, I would say, oh, well, Star Trek Beyond was the best one. So that should have, and that did the worst of the three. So it and is. And I think it costs the most. So yeah, you know. it's very, very hard to gauge what's going to work and what isn't and theatrical versus TV and, and, you know, things shift also. So tones shift and what people want shifts. And it's just for, I think the industry itself, it's like a volatile, strange time. And then for Star Trek, especially. You know, we went through this a year ago or over a year ago when Emma Watts came on board and said, you know, oh, let's stop everything that's happening and start over again. You know, and two years ago, the previous head of, Paramount Pictures was touting at a big industry conference how we've got two Star Trek movies in development. And he was talking about two totally different Star Trek movies that are now totally dead, I think, um, which was the Chris Hemsworth Star Trek IV sequel and the... um, Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, you know, because at the time, both of them seemed like a good bet. And they're still talking about multiple movies, but they're different multiple movies. It's like they're just, you know... Yes, I want you to do the right thing, Paramount, but do something for God's sakes. It's five. It's yeah. We're not going to get something in 2023, I don't think, um, at this point, because they've already. I mean, there's a kind of because of COVID, they've already moved a lot of their 2021 movies into 2022, including the Top Gun movie and a bunch of other things. So I wouldn't be surprised if just because of the other things happening within Paramount, the 2023 date ends up being a movie that was supposed to run in 2022 anyway. But if they made a decision today, get a Star Trek movie in theaters by 2023, for sure. Um, but they're definitely running out of time. Yeah, I would love to see uh, a list of all the different ideas that have come up that have been even vaguely considered by anybody. Like just a quick two-sentence summary of each one would be so fun. Because who knows what else has come their way that they've been like, maybe, and then ditched it. I mean, as you know, there's levels of development. There's the the, the Abrams project with Matt Shackman is way into development. I mean, they've hired a director. They've got a script. They know, you know, there is a thing happening, which is much different than, you know, a treatment or a one-line pitch from some guy. You know, they are... They haven't gone into pre-production, but they are down a road a certain ways. Money has been spent, that kind of thing. You don't yeah. hire a director until, you know, you're getting ready, you know, but they haven't started casting. They haven't started building sets or any, you know, that's when you really start spending money. Yeah. You know, but that's where they were with the Holly movie. You know, they had a director, they had a script, they were sketching out designs, they were scouting, and they were about to start casting when, yank, they stopped. Yeah. And we could be at that point with the J.J. Shackman movie where they just, you know, where they're they're right there, ready to pull the trigger and they decide not to. Right. Well, I mean, it's also like, you know, is J.J. still the right guy is a big question. I think. Well, as as a producer, I you know, he's, you know, Bad Robot Productions knows how to make big movies, you know, and he knows how to put together a talented team. Uh, you know, the question is, you know, is it the right story? Is it the right positioning? Does it, you know, work overseas? There's so many factors to build into this. And it certainly seems like they want big movies to help ignite the franchise on Paramount+. Plus. So there's big decisions to be made. 
but he admits he's just gotten into the job. So that slowed things down because he's like, you know, when they, they, they hand you, they say, here, are you ready to spend $150 million, whatever the thing is? It's like, I just got here. Yeah. He's like, I've been here seven minutes or something like that. Yeah. It's the Star <laughs> Trek franchise. It's like a big deal to Paramount and not, you know, and I'm, no one wants to be the guy that destroyed the Star Trek franchise. Right. But you are that guy. This is your, you know, he wanted this job. Um, you know, Jobs. it was, yeah, <laughs> it was, a, it was a bit of an ugly shakeup. It's like now, you know, now is the time for you to prove that you were worth this job. Cause this is one of the big decisions that many, many heads of the studio have, have faced since 1977. Right. So time to make the money. Yeah. Okay. Enough ranting about Star Trek movies, except... I was going to say, those are the movies that haven't been made, but let's talk about the ones that have been made, which are finally all 13 of them on Paramount Plus, which is a first. Not just for Paramount Plus, but like any streaming platform. Yeah. You know, because movie movie rights are so bizarre that they just jump around. You never know where the movies are. And now Paramount Plus can finally say, we've got every single Star Trek episode and every single Star Trek movie all in one place, although they still don't have a nice little Star Trek hub. I know, and if you go in, and if you go into shows, there's a Star Trek section, but not if you go into movies. And of course, right. the movies aren't in the section where the shows are, which makes sense. But I feel like that would have, you know, they should have done that. You know, hopefully, there'll be a better UI someday. <laughs> Keep dreaming, baby. They're not exclusive. That's a. I mean, you can watch some of these movies on other streaming services. Like and you can few... watch the shows all over the like the older shows are still in multiple places too. Yeah, I think two years from now, every single Star Trek movie and TV show will be nowhere but Paramount Plus. And we're talking USA only, by the way. So, right, rights change country to country, so it's hard to keep track. Let's switch topics to some of the TV shows. Really, the, there's only news for one non-prodigy TV show this week, which is. Strange New Worlds. And this is not confirmed. I want to emphasize that. But, but it's reliable information. Right. <laughs> and, and not surprising and expected, and which is that Paramount Plus has already greenlit a second season of Strange New Worlds and plan to go into production in February. Well, it's like we all knew there was going to be a show with Pike, but well before they announced it. We were all like, of course they're going to do it. Of course they're going to do it. So this is kind of in the same category, um, except we do have some, you know, it's, there's something in Production Weekly, which is pretty reliable in terms of information. So The only thing I could garner from this is, assuming it's true, which I think it probably is, is mm-hmm. that it probably means that we're going to get Strange New Worlds in earlier 2022 first season because they wouldn't go into production that soon unless they needed season two in earlier 2023. So I'm still thinking strange in the worlds is going to be a May 2022 thing for season one. Yeah, that Um, makes sense. With Picard being, we know that Picard's February. We know that discovery is November. So if they do the kind of every three months, a star Trek show, You'll have Picard in February, Strange New Worlds in May, and Lower Deck Season 3 in August. Yeah, it's a good year for Star Trek fans. Let's switch to a documentary called The Center Seat, 
55 years of Star Trek, which is... A docu-series, to be precise. Exactly. That debuts on Friday, November 5th on the History Channel. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit before, you know, because we've both seen it. So, but now we also have an interview with Brian Volkweiss, who's the director and producer, correct? And he owns the company that makes this and many other documentary series. And did um, Gates McFadden's podcast. You know, it's worth checking out the interview, but some of the highlights are that he made it clear, unlike the 50th anniversary one, which he made, which was kind of a... And, you know, he wouldn't mind me saying this. It was kind of your generic History Channel documentary. That this one is, as he said, it's for Trekkies by Trekkies. And it's just a super deep dive into Star Trek. Still very entertaining, but they're not going over a lot of ground that we've heard before. They're trying to find new things. Like for the episode one is all about the original series, but... They, they try to delve into areas that we may not have heard before. And I learned a few things watching it. I don't know if you did. I did. Um, and then they're doing like a whole episode on the animated series. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually looking forward to all of it. Having seen the first episode, I'm looking forward to every episode because they're just really well done. We mentioned this a little bit last week, too. But the editing is fantastic. The writing is great. And the information they have is great that they interviewed a lot of people. And they do, you know, they do use some experts, but they try to minimize that. And, the, you know, some of the ones, some of the people they talk to are people we know know a ton about Star Trek, like Larry Nemechek or the Tenudos, like... Those are people who are definitely qualified and not just, you know, some columnist somewhere, if you know what I mean. And according to Brian, he said there's more of that in episode one because a lot of the people who worked on the show are just not available because they're they've passed yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no was... longer available for interviews. <laughs> yes. God, that sounds terrible. This company has made a lot of great documentaries. If if you've watched on the Disney Channel they do the the series called Behind the Attraction, um, and they also on the Netflix do the uh, the toys that made us and the movies that made us. And this basically feels like the Star Trek that made us. And I even asked him about that, and he's like, "Well, you said it, I didn't. I, you know, maybe because Netflix would be upset because <laughs> you know, essentially, he's taking that style, applying it to Star Trek. So it's it's very light. They just have a lot of fun with it." Yeah, they use like random bits of dialogue from the show to emphasize points that they're making. So it just keeps, you know, it's like pop, 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 pop. And then you get a nice in-depth kind of like more meaty little section and then more pop, 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 fun edits and one-liners and things from the actual shows. So it just, it keeps the pace up. They've done a lot of research for this. They've got new stuff. Um, Some we haven't seen, we've talked about how Ike Eisenman from Star Trek two, he has some stuff that's supposedly amazing. I think like home footage, that kind of stuff. And he said, there's a lot of examples of that. They've got a lot of great memos, which don't sound exciting, but they're really good at taking documents and bringing them to life. Well, also Star Trek, like original series memos are incredible (laughs) to read. Like, I mean, it's history, it's witty, smart, writerly people writing these memos. And it was that was how you communicated. There was no email, obviously. So you try to cram it all into one. So, you know, those alone are pretty entertaining. And 
something that they they were careful with, but I think they got the right balance with, which is this isn't a worshiping in the altar of Gene Roddenberry. I mean, Gene is a genius and um, he definitely created Star Trek, but the first episode made it clear that Star Trek had a lot of great people who made it happen. There was a huge emphasis on Lucille Ball, actually. Quite a lot of this was about Lucille Ball. You know, when you read Inside Star Trek, which is that book by uh, Bob Justman and Herb Solo, there's a lot of Lucy in there, too. So there was a lot of Lucy, but a lot of Gene Kuhn, which I think makes a lot of sense because, you know, really Gene Kuhn is so important to the show. And, you know, David Gerald is interviewed. They have some old interviews from others, including Nimoy. And- the Nimoy interview is definitely from the other documentary because I remember the backdrop very well. Yeah, they use stuff that some of it was in the documentary, some they didn't use. But Yeah, Brian said they're trying to, when they use interviews that they've had from before, they're trying to pick different parts of them. And they also had uh, Joe D'Agosta, the casting director, still around. And everybody's been talking to him about everything, um, which must be so fun for him. But he's in there, too. So I highly recommend it. And it's on the History Channel. So if you have the History Channel, you can watch the first four episodes. Now, Oh, yeah, this part gets weird. Okay, so the distribution of this is is funky. Okay, so four episodes of the 10-episode series are going to air on the History Channel every Friday, right? Bang, 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 four episodes. That's, like, totally normal. But it's a 10-episode documentary series, so six episodes are going to be on History Vault, which is the streaming service, but... Here's the weird part. From what we're told, <laughs> those those six episodes are also all going to be available on November 5th. So that would be before three of the episodes have aired that come before those six. Yeah. And none of the first four, at least in the short term, are going to be on History Vault. So you will need both the History Channel, either through a cable package or, you know, through... Philo or Sling TV or one of those kinds of things. So you'll need a TV package that includes the History Channel to watch the first four episodes, and you'll need History Vault to watch the next six. So it's complicated. Yeah, History Vault is available with a one-week free trial, so you you could always just binge those. But I'm sure there's some great stuff. There's some great Hitler documentaries or something's got to be on the History Vault, (laughs) right? You know? No, there is stuff. I mean, my my husband subscribes to it periodically. Like, he'll watch a whole bunch of things and then he does what you do. Like, he'll just, you know, watch for a month or two and then cut it off and wait for them to sort of replenish and get more stuff. There will be more than 10 episodes. That is something that Brian revealed. He didn't say how many more. But, for example, the one of the trailers that released showed F. Murray Abraham, but he's not in the 10 episodes. <laughs> So, because they aren't even going to get to the next gen movies. The right. last episode gets to Enterprise, and that's where this series ends. But then they're going to pick up and they're going to do the next gen movies. They want to do the JJ movies. They want to do the new Star Trek stuff. Um, so, there'll be supposedly, I mean, and they've already started production on more episodes. And I can only assume those will be on the History Vault at some date in the future. At some odd time where the final episodes go on before we've seen the first ones. 
Yeah. <laughs> Be happy we're getting a 10 episode Star Trek documentary series. And that it's well produced and that it's made by someone who gets it. And then, you know, but feel free to grumble. Well, it's, it is it is worth a little grumble. I mean, it's weird. What they're doing is absolutely weird, but don't let it get in the way of experiencing this documentary series is all I'm saying. Grumble away, but don't, you know, defiantly say, I'm not going to get History Vault. And it's like, well, you know, you're, you're going to well, miss out is all I'm Yeah, you're say. the one who's who's missing out. Again, there are lots of creative ways to minimize your expenses and maximize your Star Trek viewing. So let's switch to Prodigy. Um, but before we do the review, there's you know just little things after the episode came out. A lot of the both Paramount Plus and the people involved with the show have done a lot of stuff on social media. So one of the senior writers on the show, Aaron Watke, we've talked about before. He's a huge Star Trek fan. He pointed out some Easter eggs that we hadn't noticed in the premiere episode. You know, one of which was when Dahl and uh, Gwen, Gwen, we're talking and one of them says, you know, we could have been friends and the way it was shot, it was all done as an homage to the balance of terror, which is one of my favorite episodes. And it was like in the back of my mind, but I kind of didn't think they were doing that kind of thing. I wasn't really looking for that kind of stuff when I was watching the pilot episode, because this is not for Star Trek fans, right? It's, but they're kind of putting that stuff in anyway, because why not? Right. And the window of dreams, which is something he mentions, was an offhand comment from Voyager. Seven of Nine said it, I think. These guys have done their homework. They like Star Trek. Well, it also just shows how layered the show is. There's so much going on at so many different levels, which ties into their whole family viewing idea. Now, there's these like official Paramount Plus character sheets they released that have, you know, little fun details, but there's some interesting things. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but like the Janeway one, and we're going to get into this into the review, but I think this wording is important. It says Janeway can control the ship and assist with many of its functions. And I think that that can control the ship thing, I think, is important and is going to come up a lot during the season. Now, regarding Dal, we've talked about other mysteries about the ship and Jank and Pog even, you know, and Zero, but there is a mystery about... Dal and his species. And this has been brought up in multiple places in the promotional materials that I feel like there's something coming. There's even this one character video that Nickelodeon put out that hinted that he has special powers. Oh, I think there's something coming, you know, and we haven't been looking cause there's, cause everyone's obsessed with Murph, right? <laughs> And what's the deal with him? But I think there's some, you know, we should keep an eye on Dal as well. Now, the character card for Murph hinted at his special power, which is this. <laughs> he has an uncanny ability to be in the right place at the right time. And the question is, is this uncanny ability an ability or just like some weird luck? Murph's kind of a mystery. And so when he does do these things, there's there's always going to be that wondering of like, did he know what he was doing or did he not know what he was doing? Because Aaron says that there is something about Murph that no one's guessed yet. There's some connection that Mur what Murph is, is something we should know. But he said it's something we haven't seen on screen, I believe he said, but that we've heard about it. So it, he's not a changeling 
you know, I was joking, maybe he's like an early version of the giant amoeba from the original series, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we did see it. <laughs> yeah, but we saw that. So that, that throws that out. Or the gel, That's, like the gel packs. I was thinking maybe he's like a, I think it's, a version of the gel I packs. actually think that's it. Maybe I it saw, is. I think that's it. I think it has to do with the gel packs. But maybe it's like a Denebian slime devil. You know, maybe it's a throwaway line of dialogue of. Or like a Regulan bloodworm. <laughs> right. There's something in there that there's something to guess that we haven't guessed yet, which is kind of fun. But another interesting thing about this character is apparently Murph wasn't part of the original pitch. It was kind of a last minute addition to the show that the, the creators thought they needed a, quote, dog type character. Yeah, like a pet. I don't think Murph is part of the protostar big mystery. I think there's just something cute about Murph and they think it's a cute character. And there's nothing about the name. Apparently, it's just one of the writers named it after a friend of hers, basically. Yeah, they um, had a whole list of names that they were going through that they've uh, put up on Twitter. You know, a little thing. Uh, the soundtrack from episode one is available already on like Spotify and everything. So if you subscribe to one of the streaming services, Apple or... Amazon. It's already up on Amazon, I saw. Yeah. It's my music service. And yeah, I was listening to a little bit of it on Spotify, and it's really good. It's just... yeah. It really Name, is. Namie Melomad, who's the new, she's just great. I know we talked about her last week. I had, I met her at the party. I met Aaron too. I mean, these people, the passion they have, it's over the top. It's amazing. Yeah. The two sisters who write on the show, it's uh, Julie and Shauna Benson. I was following them on Twitter long before Prodigy. Like they're just really interesting, passionate writers. And so I was thrilled when they, when I saw that they were on that team. Because it's all people who are just so excited about what they're doing. Okay, so let's talk about Starstruck. What did you think? I, I mean, it was a solid episode. I'm going to say the thing I always say with a lot of these episodes. Good, not great. It felt like a transitional episode where they were spending a lot of time setting things up. A lot of a surprising amount of exposition for a kid's show. I mean, I liked it for sure. And there was some good action and some new action and a good amount of humor. But in general, it felt like this was helping set up the show because the pilot episode was wonderful and very exciting and introduced us to each of our characters. This, uh, the big job for this episode was to kind of explain Janeway and her role on the ship. So it really was the, you know, here's Janeway and here's what she does and doesn't do. And I feel like that was kind of the point of this episode, as well as setting a low bar, essentially, for the character development of all the characters to say, here's where the starting point of their arcs are. Right. They plant they planted a lot of seeds there that were very obvious. To, I mean, to adult viewers, especially. Right. But basically, everyone was being stupid, <laughs> you know, and so or most everyone. And but that's kind of for a point because they want to lead these characters somewhere. Um, so again, I enjoyed it. And maybe I'm being overly analytical about all of these things. Well, the thing that I, I put in my notes for myself was that there were moments where I had to, where I was starting to sort of criticize in my mind and then had to remind myself it's a kid's show. So I feel like there are times when it works on sort of all levels. And then there are times when it, really has a kid moment which in the first episode 
first two was more about the humor provided those kid moments. And in this case, it was like those big expositional sections that you're talking about. Although the one thing that one place where I'm glad they didn't dumb things down and they said, we're not going to dumb things down was there was some good science in this episode. Like when they finally end up at the red dot and they, what they find there, that was all accurate Dr. You know, Aaron McDonald approved science, you know, the, 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 the way the star, the way it looked, um, how it was sucking up a red giant, all the terminology seemed spot on. So, because one of the goals of a kid's show, I think it should be educational a little bit. And I think a good Star Trek show for kids should teach them about space and science. And oh, it's a I huge think, opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that you hear a lot from people about this show. A lot of people compare it to Star Wars. Yeah, there's there's some similarities. Obviously, Dreadnought is a little too grievousy, but here's something that Star Wars really will never do, because that's not what it does. Which is, it's really more space fantasy. You know, Star Trek. It's is our galaxy, our future, and so I hope there's more of that. There's more learning about black holes and all sorts of interesting sciencey stuff. Yeah, I think there will be a lot of that stuff. Um, I thought there were some really strong character moments in this one. I mean, you know, last last week I was enchanted by Rock Talk, who I do still love. But this week, uh, Zero was my hero of the episode. They had so many good lines, so many good moments. But I also, I thought that the big emotional stuff, like between Rock Talk and Gwyn, like that really got to me. I mean, maybe because I want to protect Rock Talk, but... I thought it was very emotional and, and pretty intense. Oh, yeah. And, and very nuanced. I mean, the whole thing that Gwyn is going through, she's starting to feel the guilt of who she was. But she's still not on board with these people. Well, Dal is not nice. to. I mean, that whole taunting her outside the brig thing was such an obvious, like, what are you? That you're being a jerk. He was being a jerk. And she wants her dad to come rescue them. But then she admits to Rock Talk that her dad lied to her. And, you know, she uses that, you know, historically dubious excuse. I did what I was told. Yeah, I was just following orders. And she even tries to turn that around on Rock Talk to say, you're just following Doll's orders. And she does kind of have a point there. Yeah, yeah she had a good point. And Rock Talk didn't even want to do it. Rock Talk didn't want to be involved with prisoner stuff. Well, here's a question. So Gwyn tries to explain things away to say that her dad told them all the kids were criminals. That's a lie. She must have known. She knew the kid, the, the, the little Cation kitty, adorable kitten, was no criminal. Yeah, that might just be what he told her. And she knew, you know, as she saw more, she realized that wasn't the case, but then didn't admit it to herself. Maybe there were genuine prisoners, genuine criminals there, but you know he's not. This prison just seems to be a place where he just scoops up people. Well, here's so the term they kept using that I thought was really interesting was the unwanted. That's what they call them, the unwanted. And think about it like all of this. Our our friends who escaped on the protostar, none of them said, "Oh, I want to go find my parents," or "I want to go to my home planet." Like they are orphans in a way they're on their own 
I mean, this is one of the big mysteries of the show, which is none of them talk about their lives before they were on the asteroid, even though there's hints that there were lives. I mean, yeah, Dal does. I mean, he hints that there's something he's not talking about. Rock Talk probably got there super, super young and has no memories of anything else. Right. But Jenkin Pog, for example, he goes into the mess hall once he learns that it's free and he knows what to order so how did he learn about that food because he never got that food things are really weird with him because he sees the federation pitch from janeway which literally showed a picture of a tellerite (laughs) she calls him a tellerite yep so he knows he's a tellerite he never says oh yeah tellerites are part of the federation like it's his backstory you know i don't know if it'll ever connect the dots they're kind they always promise us these are all going to make sense but it's already not making any sense like why doesn't he know about the federation why doesn't he know tellerites are in the federation why didn't he say anything to janeway about that how does he know what this food is etc so this is something no kid is probably caring about (laughs) this is this is you know this is a star trek fan issue and so you know should we really expect this show to sort all these things out but Getting back to your point, I think the emotional heart of this episode is absolutely, um, there's kind of two big things happening. One is Dal versus Janeway, and the other is Gwyn versus Rock Talk. One of the hardest things for me was when Dal orders Rock Talk to go recapture Gwyn. Yeah. And she says, I don't want to go. She doesn't want to be the muscle. She does, that's right. not what she's interested in doing. That's not who she is as a person. She's just a little girl who doesn't want to do that. And even though when it came down to it, she is definitely capable of being the muscle. Right. Well, also she was, I mean, she's big, so that's part of it. But also she was angry and she was hurt. I mean, all the emotional stuff with her just got to me, which I preferred to her going like, what's the Federation or whatever <laughs> that was, which again, moment for the kids. I get it. Um, but I thought all all the good stuff with her was in those emotional scenes, like with the food, too. That was just such a sad little scene. Well, and she doesn't know what she doesn't know, and she doesn't know what she wants. So she goes, I'd like to boldly go, and then she goes, at least I think I do. Right. You know, she wants validation um, from others, and Dal is pushing her around, essentially. But there's just a, like, she is the joyful one who's like, wow, and she thinks things are beautiful. But there's this this sad, dark thread in there that is this little kid who has no memory of anything before and doesn't even know what to want for herself. The other big dynamic in this episode is Janeway versus Dal. Janeway comes in and makes it very clear that she is not in charge and is there to follow orders and to offer advice and help, even though she also says that she could run lower level parts of the ship. But she's mostly there to guide them, to train them. I mean, she thinks they're cadets. But this, you know, throughout the episode, they made it very clear that they can make mistakes and she's not going to stop them. Right. Right. Because Dal makes a whole series of mistakes throughout this episode. Although there is, like, for example, you know, she tries to offer advice and he says, go away. And she goes away. He says, be gone. Right. (laughs) Calls her hollow nanny. He's very uncool. Um, (laughs) But 
she's always watching because he was a there was one point where he orders the ship to engage the warp drive and she pops in and and says although she doesn't stop she says that that would have unforeseen consequences or something like that so she's almost like one of those dialogue boxes of are you sure you want to do that <laughs> my my question is so let's say he said yeah i'm sure i want to do it would janeway let them do something that would endanger the ship i think probably yes and i think that we'll find out more about that as we go so i i think there's got to be some kind of fail safe where they can make mistakes up to a point but if they are you know really gonna die or very high chance of going to die she's got to kick in and say and stop it i mean if you were programming the hologram you'd put that in there because I think, you know, kids watching the show, they see this adult, they're like, oh, well, she's a captain, she's in charge. And they this episode really hits you over the head. She's not in charge. She's also like super chill and kind of sassy. She has a bit of a personality. You're no summer peach, she says. <laughs> yes, it's not just a program. And, and you know, when we interviewed Mulgrew, she made that pretty clear. She's you know, she's got her point of view and she's sweet, you know, like when Rock Talk was trying to figure out what to order, she's like, you can get anything you want. And then even after, sadly, she orders the slop that they gave her at the prison, she's like, I like a gal who knows what she likes. I know that was an interesting line, though, because she didn't know what she liked. And I, and so I was like, oh, is she just trying to make her feel better? That's, That's what, what it I felt think. like. Yeah, because yeah, she yeah. doesn't know what she so she was like putting a spin on it to make Rock Tuck feel better, which was sweet. So she cares about the emotional well being of these kids, just these like the real cadets. Because I mean, so we did we had the nice hand wave of, oh, you're all cadets, which they're clearly not. But you know that <laughs> they needed they needed to do something because otherwise she'd be like you know insert you know starfleet code for me to operate and nothing would happen and the show would be over so right and she also didn't seem to have a strong reaction to somebody being tied up on the captain's chair well because she had space madness space um, flu yep <laughs> she had both space flu and space madness she did so i mean it's interesting what you said about zero zero bugged me in this episode oh zero was my favorite in this episode i love zero but they're a bit intrusive. Oh, no, a lot intrusive. If a friend of yours was just constantly reading your mind, that would get on your nerves. So, Well, there's this great moment where he says to Dal, he says, I can still read your mind. And then Dal slams the door in his face and goes, how about now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All, you know, in a way, they were both being jerks at that point because Dal is is like, I get the captain's quarters and you sh but and tries to pretend that it's cool when it's uncool. Right. Um, then again, does Zero need a bunk? Does Zero sleep? I know. I was thinking that when I was watching that scene. I'm like, what would they need a bunk for? So funny. So they really dialed up the Dow in this one. Even He was more annoying than he was in the first episode. The first episode is kind of fun and wisecracky. Now we see the problem where is that the kind of person you want in charge? And you could see how no one really, no one's asserting that they're in charge except for Gwyn, but no one accepts him as being in charge, really. 
No, they're all just kind of going along with it until they figure out what's what. But what they also did, which was they amped up his uh, annoying qualities, but then and his and his bravado, but they also gave hints to why he's that way and why he has this mistrust and that he's actually afraid, which zero revealed. So I think that it's showing, I mean, it's, it's a great character for kids because it's someone who's all bossy and, and full of themselves. And of course we know the truth about those people is that they're actually fearful. And He's learned not to trust authority figures, which is why he doesn't trust the Federation. He doesn't, or at least starts off to not trust Janeway because in a way, just like Gwyn, he's looking at the Diviner and basically everyone's just another version of the Diviner, someone who wants to control you. Yeah, I felt like it came from even before that, that people come along and they tell you they have a good plan and then it turns out it's only a good plan for them. That's what he said. Which fits with the Diviner, but I think it probably is part of his history before that, too. But he did have a learning experience. It did take a near-death experience, but at the end, and this is why I see this episode as kind of setting things up. Basically, by the end, he's saying, yes, you should teach us how to use the ship. Yeah. And I did love when he's you know, finally asks Janeway back onto the bridge during the red alert and they're all about to die. That when Janeway flips into teacher mode, she brings on some digital coffee, which was wonderful. She pauses to take a sip too, before she says anything. (laughs) Yeah, that's, it's definitely true that her algorithm needs the um, holographic coffee to function. So does mine. So we could assume that's kind of the thing for future episodes is they're going to accept lessons as cadets. So this episode established they're going to be the cadets. She's going to be the teacher. And they're on this wonderful ship learning lessons together. And she's also going to let them figure out stuff on their own, which I liked. I mean, Zero comes up with a solution. Dal says, oh, you read my mind. That's how you got there. And Zero's like, "Uh, no, you're lying again. But <laughs> it, it, it felt but like it, a very Star Trek classic solution of we're fighting against the gravity. Why don't we flow into it? I feel like we've seen that before Yep. on Star Trek. It's one of the advantages of being a show for people who don't know Star Trek is they can borrow plots and solutions. I mean, we haven't seen this exact thing, but we've seen something like it. But this whole thing kind of brought up a separate issue. Because Janeway, you know, they needed to use the phasers, which are auto-targeting. And um, in a way, in the last episode, they had to mostly battle debris and stuff, you know, especially with the phasers. Because I was thinking, okay, so we're on a kid's show. This ship is heavily armed. You know, they've handed not a hand grenade to a kid, but a bucket of hand grenades to a bunch of kids. That you know they could kill people with this yep. ship. Yeah, they could destroy a planet probably with this ship. Who knows what this thing's capable of? I assume we're not going to see them kill anyone, but it will be interesting to see how they get out of conflicts. You never want to see a kid knowingly hurt someone else, even if they're the bad guys, right? So it'll be interesting to see how they resolve things with the diviner and with other conflicts they run into because they could blow up rocks all they want but eventually they're going to run into some bad guys right 
it'll be interesting to see how they just handle having all that power. It's a crazy amount of power in the hands of teenagers. It's something that shouldn't be done. Let's face it. It's <laughs> it's insane. You know, I I, mean, as a parent of teenagers, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I have pretty smart teenagers. But yeah, don't give them a starship. Now, speaking of the ship, we started to get some more hints about what's so special about the ship. Yes. We've got a little tour down in engineering, and it's got two warp cores, which is weird. And some other unidentified thing. Uh, I think we brought this up last week. We think this is the thing called the proto-drive or the, the proto-matter drive or something like that, and that this is a, a something capable of trans-warp. There's another subtle hint we got in that, because at the beginning, Janeway's like, hey, the Federation, it's cool. Everyone loves each other. We all get along. It's fantastic. Should I set a course? And, you know, it's in the Alpha and Beta Quadrant. And she didn't say, oh, and by the way, it's going to take us 70 years to get there. Right. (laughs) It sounds like they could just go to the Federation if they wanted to. Now, maybe it will take a while, but it's not 70 years. So, Whatever that third thing is, and in the opening credits, you could also see there's some kind of third engine on the ship that opens Mm up. Yeah, I think it makes the ship go really, 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 really fast. Yeah, I think so, too. And that's and I think that's part of why the Diviner wants that ship so badly. Right, because the phasers and the photon torpedoes are kind of just generic, same stuff that they had on other ships. I mean, it does have a, <laughs> I feel like there is a kind of a USS Voyager nod here, which is we learn the ship has a shuttle replicator. Yeah. Cause everyone always jokes about where did Voyager get all those shuttles, right? Cause they kept on yeah. coming up with new shuttles and too many photon torpedoes for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> so this ship solves that problem by having a little replicator that builds them. It's like a 3D printer. A big 3D printer. A really um, big ho- 3D printer. Hopefully it could also... I, it hurt me a little bit as a ship guy when they just started getting rid of the escape pods and other pieces of the ship. I'm like, Dal, you know, is not a good captain <laughs> yet. Yeah. No, because as I was watching this stuff, I was like, that's going to be stuff they need that they haven't even explored yet. But I have to say, I did love that scene where Gwyn was running from one escape pod to the next. I just think there are so many moments in my life that feel like that. So <laughs> I just, I really, really felt her pain at that moment. Speaking of ships, we there were you know a few moments with the Diviner back on the asteroid. Last week, we kind of talked about what about all those poor people. We did get a hint now that Dal's escape, the ship's escape, did start an uprising, but it was quickly put down by... Yeah, they said it took a while, but they did it. I mean, a while could be a few hours, I'm not sure, but... Well, this whole episode takes place, like, within moments after the original... It didn't take them that long. Right. What we also learn is a big part of the asteroid operation was actually a ship that launched, and they were able to cloak the asteroid, although not the ship. I didn't understand that. Yeah, I had to watch that a few times, because it was... There were two scenes, I thought, that were full of action that were visually confusing to me, and that was one of them. And the other one was that whole scene when the shuttlecraft was being built. Like, I felt like I kept going, I want to, I need a wide shot. Like, I just, there were times that I felt like it was so tight and close that you couldn't really tell what was going on. And I was like, did they just cloak the prison colony? That's what I was, 
had to rewind and watch again. We did see a couple shots of poor little cat vacation <laughs> kitten. It feels like the kitten was introduced in the first episodes to make Gwen sympathetic, but they may have overplayed their hand because people are feeling sorry for that. Yeah, I've seen people online like, what's happening to this kitten? Well, they may have also done that so that there's someone we still care about who's back on the prison colony. If 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 that kitten doesn't make it out of season one <laughs> off that colony, there's going to be a riot. Pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forget everyone else, but go back for the kitten. That's all I'm saying. Yep. I also thought the diviner was like a little Palpatine. Very yeah. much. Okay, a Those, lot Palpatine. Yeah, they have not. They have yet to flesh those characters out beyond one-dimensional dal jokes uh that the he's not afraid of the diviner because the diviner lives in a tank but we saw that the diviner has a little mobile suit full of fluids that keeps him going we're not really sure what's wrong with him but something terribly is wrong with him um but he can get out of his little tank and he's coming after them he knows where they are apparently so he could track the protostar somehow and Dal is terrified of him, even though he's making jokes about him, which Zero pointed out. As one should be. Yes. So we're definitely going to see a confrontation. I mean, and that'll be the, we can only assume that's going to be the make or break moment for Gwyn to make the decision. Yep. Gwyn's going to have a moment of decision where it's going to be okay. It's make or break. It's right now. Here you go. And it's going to be tough. And I, I feel that all of these characters have a lot of stuff going on and it makes you look forward to seeing where they're going to go. Like Dal in a way is, has a touch of Tom Paris in him, you know, like super casual pretending like nothing's a big deal and Tom Paris evolved. And so these characters all will too. They set this low bar to give these characters an arc to grow into, but it definitely made you watch this episode going, wow, that was really stupid. So, <laughs> well, it's it's a it's frustrating to watch someone making bad decisions that you know are bad and everyone knows are bad, and they just keep doing it. But again, this is kind of something that we all knew when you heard about heard about a show about a bunch of kids taking over a Federation ship. Your first thought is, how the hell could a bunch of kids control a Federation ship? And the answer is barely, <laughs> like, right, <laughs> and only with help. So, at least in a way. It's good because they are being honest about that. Were there any more favorite moments or lines for you that stuck out? Besides the emotional stuff, which actually got to me a lot the first time I watched it. I'm, I'm, I may have had a little tear, maybe. But I loved Zero, like when they get pulled into the star. And when they said, what a rare and exciting way to meet our doom in this beautiful British accent. It was just perfect. You almost wonder how ethereal is Zero? Like, does Zero not care that they're all going to die? Yeah, Zero just seems excited by adventure and misadventure equally. Would Zero survive, possibly? Because being an energy being, you know, the, maybe the, the the robotic suit wouldn't survive and the ship wouldn't survive, but... They could just float off into space or something. They did maybe. say our doom. <laughs> what did you? Th I mean, I I liked finally hearing Janeway give 
the boldly go speech, the, the oh, classic Star Trek speech. I felt the opposite, actually. Because to me, it just reminds me it's a show. I mean, I know it's a show, but it does take me out of the... Whenever anybody does it on any of the shows, it takes me out of the story. I felt it was appropriate for what they were doing. In a sense, there's this Star Trek thing out there, the Federation, and you know these things. You know Vulcans, and you know Boldly Go, and it's out there. And we could go there now, and they you know, were mostly... Dal decides, no, we're not going to go to that. We're not going to do that. We're going to do our own thing out here in the middle of nowhere. I appreciated Janeway's huge description of the Federation with all the visuals and all of that. But I just, when I hear those words from that open, I just think, oh, TV show stuff instead of story stuff. Yeah, I, I get that. Is there anything else, by the way? No, wanna... now I, re- I really want to know what your niece and nephew thought. It was interesting, after we watched it, both of them started talking about the show Troll Hunters. Um, And there's been a few seasons of Troll Hunters, and they were comparing it favorably. They liked that show, so they weren't surprised to learn that the people behind the show, both the creators and a lot of the people who work on the show, are from the same team. And in fact, Annie said, why don't they promote the show? Because a lot of her friends really liked troll hunters and they should do they say from the makers of troll hunters here's a star trek show and i thought that's a pretty good point maybe she has a future in marketing (laughs) yeah i mean i for someone like me who's reading articles and that's always sort of listed in their credits that's one thing but that's a good point like especially when it comes time to market it directly to the kids that they want to have watching it like ads you know ads and stuff like that but i guess they they can say troll hunters was a netflix show yeah Yeah, so obviously they can't show it in a promo. In a lot of promos, you know, they say from the director of Blah, you know, it doesn't need to be the same studio. They do that all the time. David's, David called it amazing. He thought, you know, it's always interesting to, you know, what he thinks is funny. He really thought watching Jank and Pog eat was hilarious. Can I say what I appreciated about Jank and Pog eating besides everything he said was hilarious? I have misophonia and I hate the sound of people eating and they didn't have him make eating. He made sounds, but they were not those sounds that make me have to turn off the volume until it's done. So thank whatever you. he ordered was pretty gross looking. Itself. It was hilariously disgusting. <laughs> and he was very <laughs> excited about it. It was like radish pie and sour gravy and just disgusting things. But I did really appreciate that they, they just created a new sound. Thank you. It felt like a present for me. <laughs> David really liked Dal in the first episode, but both David and Annie also kind of had issues with what we were talking about with Dal, the kind of decisions he was making. I thought he was acting like, um, uh, like, um, like taking all the credit and kind of a bit selfish. And, but he was being a good leader at the same time. And, and he called, uh, um, for help uh, um, from Janeway at the last second, we were about to um, all die. But whose fault was it that they were all about to die? Um, doll. Annie, you said at one point, I don't like doll when he was making those yeah. mistakes. So do you agree with David? Do you feel he redeemed himself at the end? No, because like he still thinks that he did everything and he kind of just sat there in the captain's chair and made himself 
feel better about it, but even, like, Zero and the other people were doing more than him in trying to solve it. The problem is because he has trust issues, like, because he said, like, no one, or, like, he's afraid to trust Janeway because he thinks she's going to lead them into something bad. So your niece is smart. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, they're both smart and they're both fun, but I like what she, she's getting everything that they're putting out there. So you can watch Dal and just say he's annoying, but she's already got the other part of it, which is that he has trust issues because of something that's happened to him and he's afraid to trust Janeway. The showmakers, I think, know what they're doing because, I mean, halfway through the episode, Annie just blurts out, I don't like Dal. Because he was doing stupid things. And I, I think they want that reaction. Right. And not just stupid things, but making it all about him. Because kids are taught, you know, you shouldn't be selfish. You should think of other people. And I definitely think kids pick up on that. And that they're okay with that. They're okay with leading somewhere. because, And we don't pay it all off this episode. So this isn't one of those kids shows where everything's okay and tied up in a nice bow at the end. They are serializing this show. And hoping that the kids stay on the journey, Dal's journey too. Right, which means you have to you you will go as a viewer from disliking him to liking him. Again, like Tom Paris for me. Here's Annie talking about what the other characters need to work on. And then I think Rock Talk needs to work on like not letting people push her around so much. Or, like, saying what she wants, like, what type of food she wants, not letting other people make that decision for her. And then I think the engineer guy, I don't really think, I don't know yet if he needs to work on anything. He seems pretty fine with what he does. Like, he's happy being an engineer even when he was a slave. Not happy, but he was fine with it. And then Gwen, I think she needs to... Like, know what she wants to do and not, like, just follow in her dad's footsteps if that's not what she wants to do. And then I think Zero and the Blob and Murph are fine how they are. I love that that Jankum Pog is the first one who's like, he's fine. He's doing great. Like, he's just... (laughs) And the reason that she thinks he's doing great is because he's happy, which is a great way to measure how somebody's doing. I thought that was kind of cool. But she is definitely seeing what's going on with Rock Talk and with Gwyn and picking picking up on those nuances, which is good. Again, we had an interesting discussion about Janeway and, you know, the kids picked up on the whole thing of maybe Janeway should be more assertive. Which is a very funny criticism of Janeway, the character. But let's hear what they said. When they were in the gravitational pull, and she asked them, and then, like, she should make herself be heard more, because then they know what to do, instead of just letting them, like, not listen to her. Well, she did, when when he ordered one thing, like, she disappeared, but then she came back when Doll was about to do something really stupid. Yeah. But then she was trying to offer help, and then immediately Doll said no, so then she disappeared again. But she should just, like, not let him talk over her. How would they learn from their mistakes if they're dead? I don't think in the history of Star Trek Voyager anyone felt like Janeway needed to be more assertive. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the difference between a captain and a training hologram right there. (laughs) 
Well, as as she says at the end, how can they learn from their mistakes if they're dead? So she, you know, Annie's picked <laughs> up on the fact that Dal's going to get them killed. Yep. <laughs> unless someone steps in to stop them, you know, because he's dangerous and, you know, they're in a ship and it's, space is dangerous. And Annie rightly wants Janeway to sort of speak up for herself instead of letting Dal talk over her. But of course, that's all done with a purpose. But, you know, Annie's not wrong. <laughs> but I think this is the thing about the show. And in fact, Mulgrew talked about this as well. Of You don't want a bossy hologram who's telling them what to do. I mean, this is kind of a fine balance of getting Janeway right. And also because kids won't listen. That's what she said. Kids won't listen if you just tell them what to do, which is true. Right. Unless they ask you to tell them. Which is what Dal did at the end. Dal said, tell us how to, you know, work all the controls, etc. Right. So he's inviting her to not be bossy, but to talk them through. And then she gets her, you know, virtual coffee and they get to work. <laughs> so that's pretty much it for episode three. Yeah. A strong episode. I would I would agree with your overall. So like I thought it was, I would say very good, but not great. And the good moments were so strong that for me, they made up for the ones that weren't as good. I, I like that there's real emotion running through all this as well as adventure. It was a kind of a bottle show. I'm looking forward to them having adventures and visiting planets and dealing with things. You know, they, they were dealing with a gravitational anomaly, which sounds like Discovery Season 4. I look forward to them, you know, meeting new people and that kind of thing. But they needed to do this episode to set up the parameters of the ship, of Janeway, of them being cadets and all of that. So this was an important episode, but it feels like a transitional episode to move on to where we're headed. Yeah, and I feel like next week they'll start settling into their roles on the ship, what those roles are going to be. Yes. So let's wrap things up with our bits of the week. I'll start off my, the thing I discovered this week was a Twitter account called TNG Friends. A programmer has set up a bot on Twitter that every hour takes a screen cap randomly from an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and combines it with a subtitle from the TV show Friends. And all sorts of chaos ensues. And you get all sorts of funny situations. I mean, I'm not a huge Friends fan, per se, but I think it actually works in this context. Like, I was thinking, would it be funnier if it were Seinfeld? But I think it is actually funnier with Friends. So you get all sorts of fun stuff. And if you're a fan of both shows, you'll really love it. Yeah, as someone who never watched Friends, because I didn't like it at all, um, uh, when I, I looked at the account, and I felt that all I could think of was like, oh, no memorable dialogue in that show. So sorry to the rest of the world who loves Friends, because I, th I can I think there are maybe three of us who don't. But um, yeah, I just thought, eh, lame. Like I wasn't I'm not a Seinfeld fan either, although I watched a little bit of it. But that would definitely have more great lines to choose from <laughs> or to pull randomly. So. Yeah, the lines aren't funny. The, the whole point of it is it's, it's funny because it's, you know, you're putting that dialogue into Riker and Troy and the like. What's your thing of the week? My thing is old. It's very old. I found it in one of those crazy Facebook groups I'm in. But um, it's a special. So the network E, the entertainment network, 
um, did a special in 1995 called Inside E Inside Star Trek Voyager. It's hosted by Robert Duncan McNeil in a sweater vest. You know, it's mid 90s. It's all <laughs> about the first season. It's about 45 minutes long. And it is so it's like this mix of sort of cheesy phrases that they made him say, like, when we come back, we'll turn our tricorders on you. Um, but all this great stuff, you see them filming scenes, they talk about their costumes, some of the um, subtitles reflect what they thought they were going to do in first season that they didn't like Robert Picardo, it says Doc Zimmerman as his character, a few things like that. They interview, it's like the cast. Uh, wardrobe, makeup, like Michael Westmore, everybody's so young. They talked to um, Gary Berman from um, Creation about all the fan stuff. Lots of Rick Berman stuff. And just really, I, I just think if you're a Voyager fan, it's it's this gem of a special. And imagine like a, a prime time, prime entertainment network spending this much time really digging into a Star Trek show. So it's lovely for many reasons and very entertaining. There's so much Star Trek in the 90s and there were these amazing specials and stuff. It's interesting this one's on E because a lot of those were on Entertainment Tonight and of course on UPN as well. So I'll definitely check this one out. Yeah, it's like very 90s. Like at one point they ask if, if everyone remembers Mr. Blackwell, you know, the fashion guy. Um, <laughs> they ask him to talk about the give his opinion on the wardrobe. <laughs> That is such a throwback. Yeah. So very 80s and 90s. Yeah. At some point he says, as captain, I would have demanded a better wardrobe. (laughs) Whereas like Robert Blackman, who designed the costumes, talks about how they how the color at the top of the uniform draws attention to the face and all this stuff. Anyway, I think it's just it was it's very entertaining and fun and cute and informative. So both of our things were very 90s, right? Yeah, that's true. So... That's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next week with episode four of Star Trek Prodigy and all the news of the week. See you then.